Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. All right, good morning again. We, um, we'll go ahead and dismiss those who are five to eight years old right in the back there with Rob and Holly. Um, we do this every other week. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that here in a second, but it, this reminds me um, uh, of something. As we're singing through these songs, it, we get questions uh, often about the songs we sing um, they may be unfamiliar to you, and that's fine. We'd love for you to learn them. And, and one of the ways we want to help you learn them is by, we, we put them on our website every week. So they're on our blog every week. You can be listening to them before we sing them on Sunday to begin preparing for the songs we're singing. So they're on there for, for you if you want to go to our website and find those. Let me explain a little bit about what we're doing with the five to eight-year-olds. Um, they're, they're on their way there. Um, a couple things. That, that we want to see happen as a church. Um, first, uh, um, well, well, we met as elders uh, last week on a Thursday evening. We spent the evening, a long evening together, um, really thinking through, trying to think through how do we um, strategically put in front of our people opportunities for them to be growing in their understanding of who Jesus is of all ages. So we, we want to see that happening in, in all ages. And so a couple things I want, to, I want to tell you about, and then we'll jump into our text. First is, we have a strong desire to see, uh, again, uh, people of all ages growing in their understanding of Jesus. And historically, what we've done as a, a church is really focused on the adult population, and, and then also the, the youngest kids, the, the infant through five, up, up through five years of age. And, and as we've grown up, in age as a church and as we've matured as a church hopefully we we've had a growing desire we've seen a growing desire from you all and a need and we've had a growing desire and and seen the need to figure out what to do with some of our older kids uh, some of the older ages of kids and so we want to see them growing in their understanding of jesus as well but listen um we don't believe that that must happen outside of this space we actually believe that it can happen right here together as, as we are gathered together. So give some of the, the kids the credit that is due them. They are listening. They are. Even if they're drawing some epic robot battle on their paper, right, or unicorns or whatever they're drawing, they're, they're taking things in. So give them some credit for, for listening. Ask them questions on the, the drive home. Parents, ask them questions on the drive home. Read the questions that we're sending out weekly for about the text that we've read. Read through those and ask those. If you don't have those coming into your email, sign up at the information table. We'll get those to you. So um, we want to see that happening. And, and at the same time, there's something to be said for learning about Jesus with peers, right? With kids their own age. There's something to be said for that. And so that's why we've implemented recently the five to eight-year-old class every other week because we want to see our, our children growing in their understanding of Jesus with their peers and also we want to see them growing in their understanding of Jesus as they watch you worshiping Jesus, as they watch their parents and the other adults worshiping Jesus here on Sunday morning. So that's one thing that we began to think through and, and talk through. And then secondly, um, we have a, a desire to add to this something for those who are in the nine 10, maybe 11-year-old age group, um, those are the ages who we don't currently have anything for as a church. We have a, a, a youth group now for mostly middle school. We have um, things for our younger kids, but we want to see and, and add something to that. That leaves a, a gap, and we, we're trying to figure out what we do with that. So we want some opportunity for them to be with their peers as well. We see the value of, of them being together with peers, but we also see the value of them being in here, right? Now, here's what you're going to see, to feel, to, to experience, to hear at times is this. Children around you, right? And, and you already, there you go. That was on cue. That was perfect, right? That, that's what we hear, right? We, we hear that, and, and that's family, that's who we are, and that's okay. 
That, that's something that we desire to see. I can talk loud, right? So I, I just keep talking louder and louder to talk over the noise that may be in here. Now, as a parent, you may want to figure out if you're um, possibly being a distraction to those around you as your infant or 10-year-old or 22-year-old is screaming, but you may, that, that's up to you, right? So um, we have a desire to be growing together in our understanding of Jesus across the ages, right? Generations and generations. We want to see that happening. And, and we're looking at ways to, to do that as a church that, that seem to fit who we are, okay? If you have questions about that, um, l- let us know. We'd love to, to have more discussions, all right? Here we go. Grab your Bible. Turn to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus 6 is what we're looking at. Um, this morning, we've been working through the book of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there near you in the pew. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you that as a gift on one condition, and that condition is what? Read it, right? So we, we would love to give it to you, and we would love to have you read it. We're going to um, read through the entire passage, um, at least through verse 27. Um, we'll work through it then, and, and so um, let me get us together first. First, let me get this bug off of my Bible. There we go. Um, we'll, we'll read through it, but let me get us all together and where we have been over the weeks. Um, if you haven't been with us, or if you just need a reminder, I know I do weekly, okay? Um, the people of God have been enslaved under an evil, harsh king in Egypt. They've been enslaved by a king years and years and years of harsh treatment, uh, and God has promised and then repeated his promise on, on multiple uh, occasions that he will redeem them from slavery. It's been a promise for ages, and he, he is going to fulfill that promise. He's told them that, and he's repeated that. In these first chapters of Exodus, we're beginning to see God uh, about to do something, right? We're, we're seeing that, that he's about to do something. He is on the move. He approaches Moses from a burning bush, and he commands Moses to go back to Egypt and, and to tell Pharaoh to let the people of God go. And we remember that Moses objects. Moses um, ha- has questions and doubts about what God is asking of him in, in multiple ways. And so God sends Aaron, his brother, with him. Now, last week what we saw is Moses and Aaron approaching Pharaoh for the first time, demanding, uh, by the command of God, demanding that he let the people go. And Pharaoh does not go for that. He, he doesn't go for that. In fact, he ramps up the harsh treatment of the people, forcing them to work harder and harder under more difficult work arrangements. And understandably, the people of God are beginning to lose hope. They're beginning to lose steam. They're beginning to have significant doubts. They're doubting more and more and more that God is who He says He is. Moses comes in and he begins strong. In obedience to God, he begins strong, telling Pharaoh what has to happen. And chapter 5 ends, if you remember from last week, ends with Moses complaining to God. In prayer, complaining. He's questioning God. He's doubting God's goodness. He's doubting God's plan. There's doubt. There's frustration. There's lack of hope. And that's where we left off last week with Moses complaints to God and so God responds God responds that that's where we pick up with chapter 6 so let me read all the way through verse 27 and and you'll notice that when we get to verse 14 that there's a lengthy genealogy and you're thinking as you read this week oh he's certainly going to skip that and I debated on whether or not to skip that as I read and I'm going to read it because it is also the word of God It's also the Word of God, and there's something that we can learn. It's not a throwaway passage at all, okay? So here's God's Word. I'll read. You can follow along, starting in verse 6. Nope, starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. We'll read all the way through verse 27. Here's the story. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand... He will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make 
I'm sorry, but, my, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So, Moses said, so the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their fathers' houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak. By the way, let me, let me give you a little instruction. If you don't know how to pronounce the name in Hebrew, you say it quickly and confidently. Okay, so here's, here we go. The firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a, a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Ishar, Korah, Nepheg, Zikri. The sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elsaphon, Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elishaba, Elishaba, the daughter of Amenadab, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, the sons of Kohar, Asir, Elkaneh. Uh, here we go. Here we watch this one. Abiasaf. There, yeah, that's good. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. This is the word of God. Amen. Now, this passage, if we can, if we can get past the, the names, this passage is full of God. It, it, it's full of God. God revealing Himself over and over. God showing Himself to be powerful. God showing Himself as a God who keeps His promises, a God who will powerfully save, a God who is patient, a God who has a plan and will carry out that plan, a God who is extremely patient and loving and kind. This passage is all about God. It's all about God. Now, now think about that. Isn't this exactly what needs to be shown? Isn't it? 
We, Moses has, has just shown his frustration from chapter 5, his doubt, his lack of hope in what God can do, his lack of hope in, in, in who God says he is. Moses needs to see and be reminded of the greatness of God. He needs that. He, he absolutely needs that. And, and this is exactly what we need as well, isn't it? So, so here's where we're going. This passage is about the greatness of God. Now, I said that to someone yesterday, and they said, well, sure, isn't every passage? And yes, it is, but this one is full of who God is. We cannot for a second put ourselves in any different position than the position that Moses is in, right? Because these people have been treated harshly, and I'm certain that Moses and his people feel abandoned, they feel like they have been left. They feel abandoned. I'm sure that they are also beginning to wonder if God is who he says he is and he's actually going to keep his promises. It's been years, God. We've been there, haven't we? And we can't look down our noses at the people. We can't look down our noses at Moses. If I was a rapper, that would be awesome. We can't look down our, our noses at, at the people. Many of you, even today, are facing difficulties right now. You are. You're, you're facing difficulties and doubt is your normal. Frustration with the cards that have been dealt to you is your normal. And some of you may be in a place where you lack hope altogether about God being actively engaged in your life at all. In those situations, even though we may not want it, even though we may not know it, even though we may not want it at the time, we need to see more of the greatness of God. We absolutely need to see more, know more of the greatness of God. The focus needs to come off of me and move to God. We need reminders of God's greatness. We need reminders. And I would say this to those who may be in a place of ease right now, and we face that too, right? We face times where, where life is going smoothly. We, we face times where, where things are going pretty smooth and going well, and there's not much to complain about at all, really. We face those times. And really, um, here, here's what we see in those times, I, I think. What, what the enemy wants more than anything else is for you to stay in that place and to begin to feel as if God is always going to make things easy. Because when they aren't, you point your finger at God, right? Right? The enemy uses those times, and we begin to think, I don't really need God's intervention here because things are going well right now. I just don't need that in my life. This is what the enemy wants because we don't really need to see the greatness of God. I get it. God is good. Look at my life. And even still, we, in those places, need to see more of God's greatness. You need to have a focus moved from you and to God, and this passage is full of God's greatness over and over and over. We need to take some time to hear and to see and to believe more of God's greatness. We need those reminders. And, and so it starts in verse 1 of chapter 6. God is stronger than the enemy. Now allow those words to sink in. That God is stronger than the enemy. more powerful, stronger, more, more mighty than the enemy. We're told in verse 1 that the Lord speaks to Moses. Remember, God is responding to Moses' recent prayer. Remember that prayer? God, where have you been? Where are you? You haven't released your people at, at all. You, why have you done evil to your people just like Pharaoh has done evil? Remember, in some ways, uh, Moses has equated God's power and Pharaoh's power. You're both evil. You, you've done that. You've both done that. So God is now responding to that. And what does God say? He says, what? Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
So, so God is saying, I'm about to do something to Pharaoh. Moses, it may seem as if I'm not keeping my promises. It may seem as if I'm not doing anything. It may seem as if I'm not in control, that I'm weak. But that is so untrue. And, and so he says to Moses, you're about to see my power. I'm stronger than Pharaoh. I'm stronger than his hold on you with my strong hand. By it and because of it and, and with it. Pharaoh will send the people out and with and by and because of my strong hand, Pharaoh will drive the people out of his land. He will do that. He will. Not because he thought of it, not because he had the idea to do that, not because of that, but because God is stronger than Pharaoh. Now, don't we need to hear and remember that? We absolutely do that. God is stronger than any of our enemies. Do you remember from week one of Exodus that this was one of the repeated themes that we see over and over and over, that God is powerful? God is more powerful than our enemies. And the reason we need to see that over and over and over again is because we are forgetful. So we've got to see it. We we need to see it over and over and over. It's because we do not know everything about God and his plan that we begin to think that he is not powerful, that he is not sovereign over all. It's exactly what happened to, to Moses. God, where are you? You're not doing the things you said you were going to do. And when that happens, we begin to forget that God is powerful, powerful over everything, especially powerful over our enemies. Now bring that into our context. What is our greatest enemy? Our greatest enemy is sin and the consequences of sin, death. It's our greatest enemy. But listen, friends, we have the power of God. We also know that the power of God shone through his son's death, burial, and resurrection. All of that more powerful than the sin and death that we experience. Now, I love the sort of taunting language that Paul uses when he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus and our hope because of it. This taunting language. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, oh death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I love those taunting, sort of taunting words that, that Paul is using. Really, enemy, this is what you got? Really? This is what you have for me? Um, Where is your victory then? Where where is your sting? And then then Paul says after that, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do we believe that God is actually stronger than our enemy, that he's more powerful than anything, especially our enemies, our enemy of sin and, and the consequences of sin? Do we actually believe that God is stronger than that? Paul tells us that, that it's true because of Jesus. By God's strong hand, we have been set free. And so in our doubt and in our fear and in our anxiety and even in our complacency and joy, we need to hear and be reminded of God's power. By God's strong and powerful hand, we have been set free. Moses needed to hear that as well. He needed to hear that. We also need to hear that God keeps his promises, which is what we see in the following verses. He's trustworthy because he he mercifully keeps his promises. That's what God continues to try to get through Moses' head and his heart. That's what God continues to show. Look at verse 2. God speaks to Moses again and he says what? I am the Lord. I am the Lord. He says that on a number of occasions just in this passage. In chapter 6, explicitly he says, I am the Lord four times. And then it's implied a number of times after that. Moses, I am the Lord. This is what I told you from the burning bush when I first commanded you to come here to Pharaoh. Things have not changed, Moses. I'm still the Lord. I am the Lord. Things have not changed. I'm still the Lord, the sovereign, ruling, authoritative Lord. Even though you haven't experienced what you expected to experience, I am the Lord. I'm the Lord. Uh, Now I'm the Lord, and I was the Lord to your forefathers as well, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I appeared to them as God Almighty. 
They didn't completely understand all that they could have about the fact that I am the Lord, but you're growing to understand that, Moses, because I'm revealing myself to you now in ways that I did not reveal myself to them in the past, but I was still their God Almighty. Verse 4, I established a covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. I promised to provide for them. And even though they did not see the goodness of that land, that is still my promise for the people. It doesn't mean that my promise has not been kept. It's coming. It's going to happen. I am a covenant-keeping God. I am the Lord. Listen, Moses needed that reminder. These are things that God just keeps telling him. I am the Lord. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep my promises. He needed that reminder, and don't we? Don't we need the reminder that God is who he says he is, that he is a God who keeps his promises? He is. When God says that he will never leave us or forsake us, that's a promise that he's keeping. But here's the problem. So often we can understand God's promises. We can understand them. We can comprehend them. We can, we can cognitively understand that God makes and keeps his promises. If I were to ask the question, does God always keep his promises? You would say yes. Right? We, we understand that cognitively, but we have a hard time believing them and allowing them to rest on us. Don't we? When we're facing difficult circumstances, it doesn't feel like God is who he says he is. It doesn't feel that way. We see God keeping his promises. Listen, this is where it goes, right? We see God keeping his promises for others. But not me. God mercifully keeps his promises. He is merciful and compassionate. He knows our pains and our struggles. In fact, I want you to look at verse 5. I want you to look at it. Verse 5 of chapter 6. When does God keep his promises? It says here, moreover, this is God speaking, moreover. So in addition to everything that I've just told you, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel. I've heard about their groaning, uh, the people of Israel who the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. It's when God sees their difficulties and their trials and their struggles that that he says, yes, I'm going to keep my promise. That ought to be a comfort to us. We're, We're told that God keeps his promises and remembers them for the purposes of action. God remembers them when he hears and sees that the people are in pain. So listen, friends, this morning, in your pain, in your trials, in your hardships, in your brokenness, in your loneliness, God hears, and God sees, and God knows what you're going through, and He remembers His promises. All of them. The promise that says, I won't leave you or forsake you. His promises to be your God. His promises to be your comfort. This is the way God is described over and over and over in the scriptures, isn't it? That he is our comfort. Psalm 46 tells us that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, a present help in trouble. There's hope in that. We're told in the New Testament, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians, somewhere, there it is. 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He knows our affliction. He knows our pain. He knows our hurts. He knows our tears. He knows them and he's merciful. He's a promise-keeping, comforting God present with us now. Now. God continues with Moses in verse 6 to instruct him in what he should say to the people. 
So he's saying you need to go then and tell the people. Again, this is repetitive, but it's significantly valuable because we're a forgetful people and we need to remember that God is who he says he is. He absolutely is. Over and over and over, we've got to hear it. And so God tells Moses, go and tell the people, go, go to the people and tell them then what, what I will do. I, I want us to see this uh, over and over. So I want, I want you to look at, at these verses, six through eight. God tells us seven things, seven things that he will do. Seven things that he will do. First, we need to see that God tells Moses to go tell the people yet again, I am the Lord. That's how he starts. Go tell them, I am the Lord. There is no one like me. I am the sovereign Lord. And then Moses is to tell them, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will free you from burden. Seven ways that he's about to tell them, I will do this. I will free you from that burden. I will, I will, uh, no longer will you be treated harshly. You will be freed from that burden. And, And then secondly, I will deliver you from slavery, slavery to the Egyptians. I will deliver you. You won't be their possession. I think that's what we need to see. You won't be their possession. I will deliver you. Third, I will redeem you. That's a financial term. There was a price to be paid for redemption. God says, I will redeem you and I will do that with my powerful arm against the Egyptians with great acts of judgment, which we will see in the coming weeks. It's going to get fun. There was a price to be paid for the redemption of the people. And in this case, the price to be paid was to be paid by the Egyptians. And so he says, I will redeem you. Verse 7, number 4, he says, I will take you to be my people. And then right after that, I will be your God. Those two come together. Really, this is what God is getting at here. He, he says, I will adopt you. Four and five come together. I will adopt you. You will be invited into and brought into my family. I am your God and Father. You have been purchased. You have been redeemed. You have been adopted into my family. That will be known so very clearly through what is about to happen. I am the Lord, the one who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You will no longer be burdened as slaves. You will be freed. You will be saved. You will be adopted into my family. God continues, verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to your family. I will bring you into the land. A a good land, a flourishing land. And then finally, uh, number 7, I will give you this land as your possession. I will give you the land. Number 6 and and number 7, those statements go together. Really what God is getting at here is this. I will give you an inheritance. I'll give you an inheritance. Now, how does God end this instruction to Moses? Once again, he he ends it by saying, I am the Lord. Repetition. We need that reminder. He needed that reminder. Moses, I will save seven times. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will absolutely do this. We need that reminder. God is who he says he is. God will save God will free us. God will redeem us. God will adopt us. God will give us an inheritance. Moses needed that reminder. We need that reminder. We need that reminder often. We need that reminder daily. God is speaking to Moses about who he is, and he's instructing Moses to carry the word to the people enslaved by Pharaoh. I will do these things. We've got to have that reminder seared into us. In fact, I would like for you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is in near the, near the back of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. We, we've got to have this reminder seared into our hearts and our minds, maybe even committing this passage to memory. When Christ came, the I wills of Exodus 6 become, I, I did. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Listen to this. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This is who we are in Christ. The, the I wills of Exodus 6 have become, I've done it, you are. This is who we are in Christ. God has promised these things to Moses, and in Christ they are done. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Even as other things, the things of this earth, the struggles and joys, even as those things crowd in for our attention, do we believe that this, from Ephesians 1, that is our identity? Because that's our God. Is this our identity? Back to Exodus 6. Uh, Moses has just heard from God about all the things that God will do. That God will do. God tells Moses, this is what you need to go tell the people of Israel. Go back and tell them this. I will do these things. Oh, God is so patient. He's so patient. Moses goes back to the people and he tells them everything God had told them to say. And, and what are we told in verse 9? Exodus 6, verse 9. The people of Israel did not listen to Moses. They were worn thin. They, they were worn thin. They had been beaten down in harsh slavery, and they were unable to even listen to anything Moses had to say to them. They simply could not take it in anymore. They, they couldn't listen. Their doubt overcame them because of their situation, because of their circumstances. So in verse 10, the Lord responded to Moses and said, go then and tell Pharaoh to let the people go. We've got to see God's patience here. He, he didn't rebuke them. He, he, he didn't go after them. He simply moved on. But, but Moses comes back and he says to the Lord in verse 12, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. Do you really think that Pharaoh's going to listen to me? That the people, your people, have not listened to me. Do you really think that Pharaoh will listen to me? R remember, God, I am of uncircumcised lips, or, lips, or in other words, I am unable to speak very well. I, I, ca I can't do this. I've already told you this. They, they won't listen to me. What makes you think that Pharaoh will listen to me? And on top of that, I can't even speak very well. I've already told you this, God. God is patient. Patient. Of course God remembers that, that Moses has already told him about his view of his own speaking abilities. You and I remember what God ha has said to Moses. Moses, who made your, who made your mouth? Who made your mouth? Uh, I did, and still I'm asking you, I'm asking you to go again. I'm asking you to go. God is patient over and over and over and over again. He's asking Moses. He's patient. And we need those reminders of God's character, that he is patient, that he is who he says he is, that he is God, that he is powerful, he's, he's got this. Why do we worry? Why do we continually forget that he is a patient God? Not to abuse it, but to 
to sit in it, to rest in it, patient enough to hear our complaints and to answer us when we cry out to him, that he's patient and kind and that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is our God. Do you you realize how short the book of Exodus would be if the reminders weren't in there? It'd be like four chapters, right? People were enslaved, they were let go, right? It would be a very short book, but we need these reminders over and over and over again. This is who God is. This is who God is. I was with a a friend this last week, and he was telling me about a conversation that he was having with his girlfriend about uh, about some things where they needed to trust God. And um, and he said to me, I don't really talk to her about those things because I know that we both know that God is a trustworthy God, and so we just don't even really talk about it. It's just kind of the unspoken thing that we both we both know. How often do we do that? And I'm not, I'm not bashing my friend because I do that too. Right? Well, we know that. I don't need to speak it. God, God, you and I both know that you're God, and so I don't really need to say anything uh, about it. But listen, that, that's absolutely untrue because we forget. And, and, and maybe more than that, it's not forgetfulness, it's that we don't believe. We, we don't uh, believe. We make wrong assumptions about who God is. We absolutely need to hear the truth over and over and over so that our belief is encouraged and challenged to, to grow, especially when we feel beaten down by our circumstances. We need those reminders that God is patient with us, even in our unbelief and in our complacency, that we have a patient God. I think one of the ways we show our unbelief over and over again is by not trusting God to have a plan. Yeah, yeah, we, we understand that God has a plan, right? We understand that he has a plan. We, we've read that. We know that. We cognitively know that to be true, that yeah, God has a plan, of course, But do we truly believe that God's plan is a good one when we face trials and hardships and tragedy? Do we truly believe that that, that God has a plan when things aren't going the way we would hope they they would go? Do Do we even think about God's plan when things are going well? Maybe that's what you need to be asked. When things are going well, do we even think about God's plan? Typically, the, the only time we think about God's plan at all is when our plan, our plan isn't going well and we cry out to complain to God that he better change things. That's why we need reminders that God absolutely has a plan. He does. It, we may not understand that plan right now, but he has a plan and his plans will not be ruined. Sometimes I think the best way for us to see that God has a plan is to look back and see what God has done, isn't it? We look back and see all of the times that God has already been faithful. In fact, often this is why genealogies exist in Scripture. They help us to look back and remember that God has been faithful all along. It's as if God God is reminding us in His Word, look at how I've been faithful. For generations and generations, look at how I've kept my promises. I've been faithful. We can see that in our own lives as well as we look back in our own lives. We can see God's faithfulness. After we see God's patience with Moses and the people not listening, God gives his instruction again to Moses in verse 13. Repetition. We need those reminders. In verse 13, we read, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people and about Pharaoh. Go get my people out of Egypt. Go. God is stronger than Pharaoh. We've seen God is merciful and keeps his promises. God will save. God is patient. All of that has been repeated time and time again and will continue to be repeated over and over and over again because we need those reminders of God's faithfulness and God's plan. This is, I believe, the primary reason why we have this genealogy here in chapter 6 to show us the years and years and years and years and years that God has been faithful and that God does absolutely have a plan. And so verse 14 begins by telling us that this is about the family. This is about the family. This is about the family. These are families flowing from the covenant community. God has been faithful, not simply to an individual. 
Not just to Moses, not just to Aaron, but this has been God being faithful to families. And while, while we won't work through each of the names in the genealogy, ah, let's go ahead and do it. No, let's not. Um, while we won't work through all of the, the names, I think it's important to point this out. I think, I think it's important to point this out. If you want to look at it on your own time at some point, I think it's important to point out that the primary focus throughout the genealogy is Aaron's family. And if you caught that, it's Aaron's family. It starts with the sons and the forefathers, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then much of the remainder of the genealogy is about Aaron and his family. Verse 20, Jochebed, his mother. Verse 23, uh, Elishaba is his wife. Verse 23, uh, again, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar are Aaron's sons. Verse 24, Phinehas is Aaron's grandson. Much of what we read, much of what we read here is the genealogy of Aaron. And the thought is that the story of Moses has already been introduced. We see the story of Moses. Uh, unfolding in, in the previous chapters Moses is leading the, the people and Aaron has now been brought in as well because because of Moses lack of, of faith of his doubt his his struggle Aaron has been brought in and so Aaron needs now to have some credibility built into his story coming through this stacked genealogy in, in these verses in chapter 6 and here's what we see that God has a plan to save his people this is God's story of redemption through Moses and Aaron this is why verses 26 and 27 tell us at the end of the genealogy oh yeah this is the Moses and Aaron we are talking about this is the Moses and Aaron we've been talking about all along they are the ones who have been speaking to the king of Egypt about letting the people go it's that Moses and that Aaron God has a plan, and while it may seem to be boring, while it it may seem to be boring to read through and study genealogies, we do need to understand that they are part of God's word for a reason here specifically. They seem to be here to, to make the very explicit point that God has a plan, a plan that trickles down through families, through families. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, trickles down through families. Kids, it trickles down through families. Trickles down through families. God has a plan. From one father to the next, God has a plan. None of this catches God off guard. He has a plan, and we need reminders of the greatness of God, especially when things seem to be chaotic and out of control. We need reminders that God is God and that he is who he says he is, that he's more powerful than any enemy that we would confront. He's he's able to redeem. He will save. Ultimately, God will save. God is patient, and he has a, a, a plan. We need those reminders from God's word regularly. Let me just throw a question out there. You apply it however you need. How are you regularly soaking in the the word of God to see his plan, to see his his will, to see what he has for you, to be encouraged and, and challenged? How are you doing that? We need reminders also from one another. Not just in isolation with our Bibles. We cannot continue to stay isolated away from Christian community and hope that we will remain stable in our faith. We are meant to be a faithful community together. Together we need reminders of God's faithfulness, that God is a faithful God, keeping His promises to redeem and to save. We see this so beautifully on display through His Son, Jesus. It's interesting that, that in this genealogy, two are mentioned, uh, Aminadab and Nashon. Uh, Aminadab is Aaron's father-in-law, and, and Nashon is Aaron's brother-in-law. And those two are also mentioned in another genealogy, in Matthew chapter 1. The genealogy that leads up to our Savior and King. God has a plan to redeem a people. He has a plan to redeem a people, redeem a a people from slavery in Egypt through two broken leaders, Moses and Aaron. And those two leaders are are broken shadows, broken shadows 
of, a one, of one who is coming in the same line, a greater king, a greater mediator, a greater Moses, a greater Aaron, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Through brokenness, God brings a perfect Savior. God is faithful and he has a plan to redeem and call us to himself. We desperately need reminders of that constantly reminding us that that God is one who loves us and cares for us and sent his son to die for us. We need reminders that nothing will pull us apart from the one who loves us. We need reminders that we have a king, a king who sits on high and who will stand between us and God, giving us access to God, our Father. We need reminders, regular reminders of God's greatness. God's greatness. We need that. Let me pray for us that that God would help us in in the areas we need help to to have those reminders built in. Let's pray. Father, we um, know that you are a good God, a a God who is over all. You're a God who has given us your word. Your word is true. Even the parts of it that we want to skip over and and dodge and, and move on from your word is true. And God, throughout your word, especially as we've seen up through these six chapters in Exodus, we've seen uh, the reminder that you are a great and powerful God over and over and over and over and over. You have shown us that you are a great and powerful God. You're stronger than any enemy. That you're a merciful God. You keep your promises even in our points of struggle and trial and hardship and our pain and our brokenness and our tears. You are a merciful God keeping your promises. God, we also know that you are a God who saves. You are the only God who brings salvation. You will and you have through your Son. God, you're a patient God. We turn from you day after day, and continually you draw us back to yourself. You're a patient God. And God, you have a plan. You're unfolding it. Right right now, you have a plan of redemption that you are showing us, and one day you will bring it to completion when Christ returns to make all things new. What a day that will be. And God, I pray that you would help us, your your children, help us who, who believe, that you would help us to understand that, that you are great and that we need built-in reminders to our lives about your greatness. We need that. And so show us where we need to grow up there. Show us where we need the disciplines built into our lives. Show us where we need to be pursuing community and not dodging it. We need help. All these things we pray, knowing that you hear us, knowing that you allow us to approach your throne because of a greater mediator who is your son, Jesus. Amen.